You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn, turn with me to the, to the book of Psalms, chapter 13. This will be the text that I'm preaching out of tonight. I don't think I gave it to anyone for it to be on the slide, so pull up an app or, or crack open those Bibles and I'll help you. All right, Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come and and preach your word. Ultimately, I ask that out of this sermon, uh, that the Spirit would come and you would comfort your people, um, that this would be glorifying to you. Let me not worry about how I preach, but let me be worried about the glory of you and the truths that you've given us in these scriptures. Please let the Spirit just help and open our hearts to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, I, had, I chose many of you in mind, and uh, this text is very real in the sense of how we can deal with strife and suffering. Um, I think that many times we can tend to make biblical figures into superheroes, almost to the point where we forget that these are real men and women in the Bible and that they, they suffered with the same things that we suffer with today. Uh, the book of Psalms is a, is a great reminder um, that some of the most iconic figures within the Bible struggled with suffering and sorrow as well. And in the case of King David, uh, who is known for many things, both good and bad, in this text is is weeping with sorrow. We actually get to see the inner workings of David's mind as he's going through this psalm. And what I found to be appealing in this text is that there's an abrupt change in David's emotion and attitude from the beginning beginning of this text to to the end of the psalm. The the beginning of the psalm is is very somber and solemn, uh, but it soon changes to end with joy and happiness and praise. So if you would, look back to me, look back with me, uh, back to verses 1 and verses 2 again. I'll kind of read this. Um, Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We see from verses 1 and 2 that David is crying out. His patience is thin. He feels forgotten and he's left in the dark. His, his anxiety is apparent and he is on the brink of despair. But notice here, in these two verses, David actually repeats the, the, the saying, how long, four times. 
in just two verses. And what I think this tells us is that David has been suffering for an extended period of time. Because of this long suffering, he feels as if God has hid his face from him. And, and I imagine that emotions like loneliness, abandonment, separation are, are consuming David at this point in his life. I would also imagine that at some time or another, we have felt these emotions as well. And, and so I kind of want to ask, what does this look like for us today? How do we relate to this text? Do we not cry out how long as we wrestle with suffering as well? And many of us are, are suffering with many things, whether it be unemployment. And we, and we look and we say, how long will it be until I have a good and stable job, O oh Lord? How long will I feel this weight upon my shoulders to bear for my family? How long will this worry remain in the back of my head or with broken relationships within our families? We say, how long will this hostility remain in my family for those that I love, O oh Lord? How long will I have to walk on eggshells with those that I love? And how long will this separation continue? With anxiety and depression. How long will this constant worry of depression plague me, O oh Lord? And how long will this ruin my life with all that is good? How long will my spouse and my family worry with the task of trying to lift my spirits and then me bringing them into sadness as well? Or with our past that just won't leave us? How long will my past haunt me, O oh Lord? How long will these memories torture me? How long must, my, must I relive my past in my mind over and over again? How long will I continue to try and have children and come back empty, O oh Lord? How long must I see these beautiful families at church with these children running around and have joy and deep sorrow in my heart at the same time? How long must I hear my wife cry and pretend to be strong for her. Maybe it's with our unconverted family members. How long will I continue to try and evangelize them and I still see them unrepentant and unconverted? How long will I continue to preach to them and be plagued with the thought of them going to hell? Or with sickness and physical pain? How long will this sickness or physical pain continue, O oh Lord? How long will these hospital bills continue to stack and push me into anxiety about where the money is going to come from? How long will I be robbed of normalcy in my afflictions? And then on top of all that, there's times where we can feel so far from God, we feel completely alone, and we cannot seem to place our finger on why. You may be dedicated in your reading. You might be striving to kill your sin. You're striving for holiness. And this just comes upon you and you're left bewildered and you don't know why you feel this way. And I'm sure many of us understand what I mean when I say that silence in the face of suffering is blistering to the ear. We ask, Lord, have you forgotten me? Have you hidden your presence because I can't see you? And as we make our way back to this text, we see that in David's case, in this psalm, God knows of David's plight. 
And he could end his sorrow in a second, but he's actually allowing this suffering to drag on in David's life. Now, something that we might miss if we're not looking carefully is found here in verses 2. In verse 2. We see that David has been seeking counsel, fighting, his, fighting um, his suffering under his own strength and endurance. He's been looking inward, trying to muster up enough strength to fight his suffering on his own by his own weight. And clearly this is too much for him to bear. This causes him deep sorrow, which he indicates with, that follows him all throughout his days. David is quite literally in a state of depression, and this depression is the shadow that follows him every day of his life. To the point that his enemies are joyful to witness that David is suffering. And so when we look at this task, this text, we have to ask, who is our enemy? I lost my spot, so give me a second. All right. So the answer to this question is obviously, it's not just some cheesy Sunday school answer or some corny answer, but this is a real-life situation of who is our enemy in this world. Our enemy is Satan, the one who seeks to devour you, the one who tempts you to transgress the law of God, and the one who takes pleasure and joy in watching you suffer because you are a child of God. But I want to ask us, when we look at this psalm, how does David then respond in the face of his long suffering? Does he get fed up and show his anger? Does he rebel against God for feeling forgotten? Does he turn to a worldly means of fulfillment and happiness? No. David calls upon his heavenly father for strength. He humbles himself and lets go of his self-reliance. David truly needs God to intervene into his situation. David goes on and uses one of the means of grace, prayer, in order to draw near to God. Now, when we look at this, I want you to notice how he calls upon the Father. He doesn't ask God to completely eliminate his circumstances. He doesn't ask God to just fix it. He doesn't ask God to do anything else with his situation. But he actually looks to God in verse 3, and he asks for strength. He says, bring light back into my eyes. He asks for strength to persevere so that his enemies may not prevail and rejoice over his hardships not for God to completely eliminate his circumstances. Obviously, I'm here, and I love you. I'm here to encourage, but I also think we need to ask real questions before we can find real hope and real answers. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do we use prayer to draw near to the throne of grace? When we wrestle and toil with our suffering of unemployment, broken relationships with family, anxiety, depression, our past that won't leave us, efforts to bring forth children, unconverted family members, and bodily illnesses and pain? Do we truly seek the counsel of the Heavenly Father where we come to Him knowing that only He can give us the strength to persevere? Or do we go on half-heartedly praying, or not praying at all, trying to fight with our own strength, because we don't value or understand the severity of what it is we are doing when we pray. Do we ask God to renew our strength, or do we come to God and essentially tell him, fix it? 
I think we've all heard enough about prayer so much that we've become numb to the magnitude of what it is we're actually doing when we come to pray. We have the ear of the sovereign God of the universe who is the creator and sustainer of all things. He listens to his children that he has adopted into his family. And this is a privilege that only we have. Children of God, this is our privilege. We should not take this privilege lightly. As I was actually writing this sermon, I had a story come to my mind from my childhood. Um, It's one of the most personal and cherished moments between my father and I. And I actually haven't remembered this memory up until probably the last month. I probably forgot it for over a decade. But as a child, uh, around the age of seven, I was scared of the dark. Okay? Um, I always slept with either a nightlight on or the hallway light would actually bleed into my room and it would give me just enough light to where I wouldn't be nearly as scared. Um, one night, my father decided it was time for me to learn how to sleep without a nightlight. Uh, I had no warning. I didn't know tonight's the night. Um, and it was unknown to me until I went to bed, obviously, and it was pitch black. Um, room's pitch black. It's dark as can be. I can barely see the hand in front of my face. My dad flips the lights off, and you're obviously like, yo, what's going on? Did I not pay my bill? Like, I don't understand. Why didn't anyone tell me about this? Um, I didn't know that, <laughs> I didn't know why my nightlight wasn't plugged in, and I was completely lost as to what was going on. And needless to say, I was terrified. Um, I was crying and became extremely upset. I believe I actually yelled for my dad to uh, turn the, the nightlight back on, but darkness remained. And 30 minutes later, I'm still crying. <laughs> and uh, suddenly, I see the hallway light click back on. I heard footsteps go down the stairs, through the kitchen and into the garage. When my, my room was above it, so I could hear every step he has. I heard him go into the garage, and there was banging and clanking noises. You could tell he was looking for something. I didn't know what it was. I heard him coming back up the stairs, and with a wet face and teary eyes, my dad came back into my room. He had a piece of fishing line, and he tied it into a loop, and he told me to take it. He put the loop around my finger. He looked me in the eyes and said something wrong along the lines of this. When you feel scared, tug on the line, and I will tug back to let you know that I'm here. I'm only in the other room. You're going to be all right. He then walked out of the room and tied the other end of the fishing line to his finger. He drug it from my room through the hallway into his room as he went to bed. The hallway lights were out. Pitch black room sets back in. Tried to be tough. Didn't last for long. I'm, trying, I'm over here crying again. Um, but it wasn't too long after that I'm sitting there and I'm scared and I pull this line. Pull it twice like a pulse. A few seconds go by. I feel it pull back. Comfort came upon me as I lay in this pitch black room, wondering why I even had to do this and why tonight was the night. Ten minutes go by. I'm still scared. I pull the line. Seconds later, I feel a pull back. Knowing that my father was there, though I was unable to see him, was comforting enough to get me through the rest of the night. This went on for the next hour until I finally fell asleep and woke up the next morning. So the reason I tell you this is because it's representative of how we can suffer. 
Family, prayer is our fishing line. And we tug and we tug to draw near to the Heavenly Father. He gives us strength to persevere, and He is our comforter. In dark times, in your own pitch black room, family, I encourage you to pull on your line. There's times when you're completely left in the dark. We don't know why this suffering has come upon us. We feel alone. We feel that God is not there. And our stress and our anxiety and our depression and loneliness just grips us by the throat. That feeling that when you walk into a room full of family members and, and friends that you know and love and they know they love you, but you feel completely alone. That feeling you have when you come to church and you put your mask on and you say everything's fine, but your heart is so heavy it's sitting in your stomach. Now, seven-year-old David didn't know why he had to all of a sudden sleep without a nightlight. And it terrified him. But seven-year-old David probably couldn't understand what good came out of his situation. What he does know is that this situation hurt him and made him cry. My dad could have sat me down and tried to explain to me uh, the benefits of sleeping with the nightlight off. How it helps you transition to adulthood that it's practical for everyday life, it helps you wrestle with your fears. But seven-year-old David wouldn't be able to comprehend how that helps him become an adult. All he knows is he just wants it to, to go away. Turn the light back on. I'm done. But looking back now, I understand why I had to learn to sleep without a nightlight on. At the time, David couldn't understand or see the good of his situation. But family, we may look back years from now and finally understand why. Or we may never know because we wouldn't be able to comprehend even if God would come and tell us why. Now in the case of King David in this psalm, the darkness lifts. And look back with me at, verses, at, at verse 5. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This darkness lifts off of David. But not because God has changed his circumstances. Or not because God just fixed the situation, but because a renewal of strength and hope in God's provision. He sees the provision that God has already given him from the past, and he uses this to look forward into the future to give him hope. God provided for David time and time again amidst of suffering and even sin. If you want to take a, a, a quick story back into the Old Testament. When we look at just little snippets of the life of David, David was anointed as the king of Israel uh, by the prophet Samuel at the age of nearly 12 years old. And though he didn't take the throne for, for many, many years after that, King Saul was angered uh, that God had rejected him, and he actually sought to kill David. God provided Jonathan, though, who was the son of Saul, to come to David and tell him, my father's coming to kill you, you need to go. He saved David's life in that moment. Later, Saul, now king of the Philistines, and his army is threatening the army of Israel. And this is where we get the famous story of David and Goliath. None of the men of Israel would fight against the nine-foot-tall giant Goliath. But God used David, a shepherd boy with no armor or sword, to slay a nine-foot giant with a sling and a stone. This causes King Saul um, anger. He sends 3,000 men after David to go kill him, in which Saul ends up admitting that David was a better and wiser king and actually, actually asks David for pity. 
And then one of the, the biggest stories we know about David is a story about him with an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Um, where, where David gets Bathsheba pregnant, and David actually has her husband killed. And David goes on, repents, and though uh, God is angry with David, he does not kill him. So these are just little snippets, right? But as David looked back, he remembers of the provision that God has provided him. That God provided for him in his anointing as a king of Israel. When his life was in danger the first time from Saul. When he slayed the giant Goliath and the Philistine army retreated. When his life was in danger the second time. Even in an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, where he then goes and kills her husband. God never left David. And in this psalm... He is no longer consumed with sorrow, but he has joy and gratitude for what the Lord has done in his life. He appeals to his salvation, and this is what fills him with joy during hardships of David's life. It is the fact that the Lord has dealt bountifully with him that draws David out of sorrow and into joy. So family, think back on your past of how God has provided for you time and time again. There's times when you didn't know how you're going to pay your bills and where the money was going to come from, but suddenly it just appears. When you had the means to buy a new car because your last one broke down nonstop. When you're given a, a temporary job as a buffer until you can get a new job. When at a time you felt like you're going, going to be alone for the rest of your life and God has appointed a soulmate for you to marry. And times where... We've prayed for our children's sicknesses to be healed, and they were. Or times where life felt like absolute chaos, and then at the end of it, somehow worked out. Over and over again, we can look back into our lives and see the providence of God. And this is what brings us to the biggest act of provision and love that God has ever done for us in our entire lives. Christ crucified. Family, we ought to take joy in salvation. The fact that God has provided a substitute for the ungodly to become godly. That while we were yet sinners, hostile, vile, and wicked, Christ came to die in the place of sinners. To live a life that we could not live and die a death that we deserve in order for us to become children. So that we may be seen as righteous before the Father, where Christ is our advocate and we are adopted sons by faith and repentance. Family, the good news of the gospel should make our hearts swell. We ought to look back on the provision of God to look forward to the hope that is yet to come. And so in closing, I have three simple points of application for you. In light of our suffering and hardships, draw near to the throne of grace by exercising your privilege in prayer. And family, like seven-year-old David, lost and scared in the dark, pull on your line. Pull on your fishing line. I had the privilege to pull on that line because my father gave it to me. And just like God has given you your fishing line through the means of prayer. Number two, take joy in your salvation, knowing that you've been bought with a price. God tied the loop around your finger with Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you haven't, or if you have repented of your sins and believe in the gospel with faith, you are a child of God. 
and, you're a, and your heavenly Father loves you, and he has not forgotten you amidst whatever is going on in your life. And number three, if you can't find joy in the midst of your suffering, draw near to the throne of grace and continue to exercise your privilege in prayer until joy returns. Family, we suffer in these days looking forward to the new kingdom and the praise of Christ. We come now and we cry, how long, O Lord? And then we praise him for sending Christ to die, to bring us into his family and hope in the kingdom that is yet to come. We know that our suffering is temporary, and we wait eagerly to see our Savior face to face. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this time that I can come up here and and preach your word. I ask that our hearts would be receptive to the truths that we find in this text and that this entire um, means of corporate worship would just penetrate our hearts and bring us joy. Let us know that we are loved children and let us be able to endure whatever suffering it is that we're going through for the glory of your name. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this location. I thank you for placing me here in Portsmouth, Ohio to be with this church family. And I just ask that in all we do today that this is ultimately glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.